So about a month ago, I, I got a call from my dad. And at first, I, I couldn't really make out what he was saying. I thought he was breaking up. And the more I listened, the more I could tell he wasn't breaking up, but he was actually crying. And if, if my dad is like any of y'all's dad, like, he's not super emotional. I've seen him cry, but it's, it takes something pretty serious to get him to cry. And so um, I try and figure out what, what he's talking about, and, and he can barely make any words out. He can barely talk. And Sierra and I were set to go to, to the house that night, and so he just told me he would tell me, tell me when I got there. And so for the next 30 to, to 40 minutes of my life, I, my mind is racing. My heart is pounding. What could he possibly need to say? What, what is he going to tell me that he can barely make out over the phone? He can barely say it. So for 30, 40 minutes, we're driving, and I finally get to the house, and I, I go inside, and, and he just embraces me. He's crying. He tells me, Caleb has died. Caleb was a friend of mine since I was about three or four years old. My family moved to New Jersey, and he was one of the first friends that I made there. And once we moved back to Iowa, right before high school, he visited for two or three summers after that um, and hung out with our family. Him and his brother, Josh, were great friends of mine. Caleb didn't just die, but Caleb had committed suicide. He struggled with a mental pain that was so great, he thought it'd be better if he died so he didn't feel it anymore. Caleb was smart, funny, kind, athletic, handsome, had a great family, had a great job, but none of that compared to the pain that he was feeling in his brain. Maybe you don't feel pain to that extent, but I think there's actually some of you in here that probably do feel that pain. The same pain that led Caleb to take his life. What do we do if we don't have hope? Hope is what leads us to press on. Hope is what carries us, carries us through difficulties. Maybe, maybe it's the hope that things will change. Maybe it's the hope that the pain will just go away. Maybe it's the hope that you can just forget about your pain if you do this or if you do that. In Psalms, there, there are many places where the authors write about hopeless situations, and yet they have hope. Is that possible? Do you think it's possible to have a real hope? Not a, not a fake hope, not a hope that's like, you're, you're in turmoil, you're in pain, everything in life is crumbling, but you're around your Christian friends and you're just like, oh, praise Jesus, bless his name. Not, not that kind of fake hope that you just put on a front, like, like real hope, sincere hope. Does that, does that exist? Open Psalm 16 to Psalm 16. As you guys are opening there, I'm, I'm going to kind of set the scene for, for what the psalm, who the psalmist is and, and what they're going through. 
This psalmist is, is writing in a valley, okay? They're not writing from the mountaintops of life. They're not writing from this, this great experience of life. They're writing in one of the deepest and darkest moments of their life, okay? If you guys look at verse 3, it's very obvious. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. Some of you can relate to this. When, when you read this or when you hear this, you're reminded of last night and the tears you cried through the night. Psalm 42. What'd I say? 16. Oh, that's embarrassing. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm like going in like serious and you guys are all like, what is he talking about? Psalm 42. I taught Psalm 16 last week. If you want to hear that, you can go to the podcast. <laughs> Great start. Okay, wow. let's get back into it. Psalm 42, okay? Now that you guys are all able to laugh at me, um, I'll reset the scene for you, okay? So this psalmist is speaking out of anguish. This is a valley in their life, not a mountaintop, okay? This is, this is a hard time. Verse 3, actually verse 3. It's actually there if you guys read this time. My tears have been my food day and night. And like I said, some of you guys can relate to this. You think about the last week or last month or last year when you had a long season where your tears were your food day and night. It was the only thing that actually satisfied the pain that you were feeling. The only thing that was actually there for you in this hurt and this turmoil was your tears. Verse 6 says, I am deeply depressed. Deeply depressed, not, not melancholy, not sad because I got a bad grade, not sad because my friend made a hurtful comment, like deeply depressed. Some of you know what that feels like. Verse 10, my adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, where is your God? So the first one, in verse 6, he says, I am deeply depressed. It's this, this inner anguish, this inner turmoil, this inner pain that he's feeling. Okay? Then verse 10, my adversaries taunt me. This is some external oppression. This is more than just I, I'm hurting inside, but nobody knows. This is this external oppression where they're taunting him. If, if your enemies come to you and say, where is your God? It's not because things are going well for you. It's not because you're succeeding Lots of things are happening in life where you're happy. Like this is when they can tell you feel abandoned. You look like you've been abandoned. And so now they're taunting and mocking him saying, where is your God? So the psalmist is experiencing this, in, this inward pain and turmoil and also this, this like external oppression. In our deepest value, valleys, what does it mean to have hope? How do we have hope when it seems like God has abandoned us? That seems like what the, the psalmist is writing about. I think the first thing that we do is we ask why. The reason I say this is the first thing that we do is because I think literally that is the first thing you do when you're in pain or you, when you're suffering, when something is hard. You ask why. Why is this happening? Verse 5. The psalmist says, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? 
Verse 9, again, he asks, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow? Because of the enemy's oppression. Verse 11, he asks one more time, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? The psalmist asks why. I think when we ask why, this puts us in a place to learn. This puts us in a place to seek answers, right? After we ask why, I think the next step is we must remember and affirm God's goodness. And I think this is really important. So I, I want you all to understand why, why this point, why this next step is actually really important. Because if we, if we ask why and we stay there, I think many people stay in the why category. They ask why. This leads us to doubt God's goodness, doubt God's existence. We'll be stuck in confusion with no hope that God is real or that he cares for us if we stop at why. If we try and answer the why, the same thing happens. I think there's lots of people that, that stop believing in God or don't believe in God because they ask, why does suffering exist? If God is really good, if he's actually a good God, like you say he is, why am I suffering? Why am I in pain? So we must affirm God's goodness. Look at verse 6. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. The psalmist remembers a time of salvation. Okay, so the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar, I didn't know what that was, but with studying, it just symbolizes the promised land, which is a place of deliverance, right? That's where God delivered his people from slavery. He freed them. Okay, so, so he says, I remember this place of delivery. I remember this place where you set us free. But why have you forsaken me? Okay, look at verse 3. It says, I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. He remembers a time when he worshiped with other believers, brothers and sisters, a God that brought him joy and a reason to be thankful. Though these are things that he's not feeling now, he remembers back to a time that he did feel that. He did experience that. I, I wanted to take a second and, and address something because for those of you that this is maybe your first time or you've been just a few times, like church may be this religious experience. You just think that maybe we come here as just a religious experience or that's what you're doing is just coming to a religious experience. I would invite you to see it something as so much greater than that. Like this is a place where strangers from all walks of life different sizes, different looks, different beliefs, different smells and touches. I wasn't going to say that. That's kind of weird, but, but seriously. Like from all walks of life, all these different places, people come here not as a religious experience. That's not why they come. We're here to thank God for his presence in our lives and watch him take people from death to life breaking the chains of sin that once enslaved us. This is not a religious experience, but a chance to experience the living God. Amen? Okay, so 
as we, he asks why, the psalmist asks why, then he remembers his salvation, he remembers worshiping with other believers, and then he affirms. So he remembers and affirms God's goodness. Verses 8 and 9, take a look. It says, The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock. Okay, so he remembers the time God delivers him and when he was on the mountaintop of his religious experience, if that's what you want to call it. And then he remembers a time worshiping with brothers and sisters. Then he affirms that the Lord will send his faithful love by day and his song will be with him in the night. And he says, God, you are my rock. Like, so I talked about how this point is, is crucial, remembering and affirming God's goodness. The reason I say that is because there are truths in this word, there are truths in the Bible that God has given us that reveal the person of Christ, who is God. And so this Bible bears witness to God, and it's important for us to be in a community with people that are actually worshiping that and helping us see that. So many lives in this room, I believe, I've heard stories, I've met some of you, many lives have been touched by this living God, not this experience of religion, but by this living God. And the psalmist is saying, remember, like remember those stories. Remember how God saved you. Remember how God saved your friend from addiction. Remember how God brought you from death to life. Remember that he was the rock that anchored you. And so if we don't do this, then our whys turn to doubt and bitterness. So we must remember and affirm God's goodness. So if you're not a Christian, you may be thinking, what is there to remember about God? All I think and know of God is pain, suffering. He's the one that allows all of this, right? He's the one that's not delivering me from this pain. I, I would say two things to that. First, talk to somebody who loves Jesus, who has been changed by him. Like, talk to a, a Christian that you know. Not the Christian that has Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, tattooed on their biceps so they can just pump out another rep. Like, not that kind of Christian. Like, talk to a Christian that is, like, always been kind of weird, like, weirdly optimistic, that has, like, this twinkle in their eye when they talk about the Bible or, like, Jesus. Like, talk to that kind of Christian and say, what does Jesus mean to you? What has Jesus done for you? And the other thing I would say is try reading this book with them. Like this seems big and scary and just like weird because you don't understand it, but ask that same Christian to like show you what this book is about. Ask them questions about the Bible. So next, we must talk to ourselves. This may seem kind of weird, but track with me. So we've asked the question, why? Then we've remembered and affirmed God's goodness. And now we're going to talk to ourselves. The psalmist talks to himself. Look at verse 5. It says, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. There's this wonderful quote from George Lloyd Jones, who's a pastor, 
And it's in his book called Spiritual Depression. It says this, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? I was intrigued. Take those thoughts that come to you in the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42, what we're reading, was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Sounds kind of insane. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Essentially, he's saying, I am the captain now. <laughs> I was like wondering if that was going to land. I am the captain now, okay? That's what the psalmist is saying. Not you, me. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. I'll say that again. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is what we just talked about. Like these lies that are being spoken to you about who God is, about what your worth is, these lies that are from Satan, we actually should take those thoughts captive and speak truth into them from God's word. Like Satan wants to lie to you. He wants you to believe that you're not worth it. Your life isn't good. It's not, it doesn't have any value. Satan wants you to believe that God is not good. He does not love you. He does not value you. But Paul says we need to take every thought captive every, against every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. So as we learn things about who God is, we need to take our thoughts captive and use what we learn about God to combat that. What I don't want you guys to hear from this is that if you're struggling mentally, it's because you're not praying hard enough or there's some sin in your life that you haven't given to the Lord and that's why you're hurting. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But there, like, there are some sins. Like there are, what I'll say is there Depression sometimes is brought upon by our sin. Not all the time, sometimes. Like anxiety can be brought upon because you are living in sin and that sin comes with shame and guilt and emptiness that you're not meant to carry. So you could be in a state of depression or anxiety because you're holding on to sin and you're gripping something that you're meant to let go. However, I will confess I'm not a doctor. Shock. Okay? So, depression is serious. Anxiety is serious. And if you haven't gotten help, like, please get help. Get help physically by finding medicine that helps you. Get help mentally by talking to a counselor, a Christian counselor that's going to be affirming you with God's word and truth. Get help spiritually by spending time with God daily, 
where you let him renew your mind with his truths. And I, I have to say this when talking about the subject. If you have considered taking your life, like, please tell somebody. Please get help. I know Josh, which is Caleb's brother, wishes Caleb would have said something. Josh would have done anything in his power to talk Caleb out of what he did a month ago. And your family members and your friends and God is thinking the same thing. Your life has value. So please, get help. Unfortunately, I think some of you have been hurt by the church who has told you you're not praying hard enough. Or maybe they told you that your depression or mental struggles because of some sort of sin. They've told you that if you're a follower of Jesus, once you become a follower of Jesus, everything just pans out and life is good. So now you're doubting your salvation because you're still wrestling and struggling with this turmoil that's in your heart. Like I think many of you have been pained by this, pained by the church. The beautiful thing about this passage, guys, is that it doesn't really have a happy ending. According to our standards, like, look at the last verse in the chapter, verse 11. It says, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. It seems like there's no finality to this. Like, there's no, there's no pretty bow put on the top of this passage saying, like, Okay, I did this, this, and this, and now all my mental struggles, all my pain, all my turmoil, gone. Easy. You just pray, maybe go to church, and now I don't struggle anymore. That's not what this passage says. And so I think for me, the beauty in this passage is that it's like real life. <laughs> it's real. Because you can't just do this, 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 and this, and you're your struggle with depression or anxiety goes away, like that doesn't just happen in life. God can deliver you, deliver you from it, but it's not just a formula that you plug things in and then it just happens every time. And that's what's happening with the psalmist. Though the psalm doesn't seem to end hopeful, I want us to look at one more thing that helps us see the overall disposition towards the Lord. So in the midst of all his pain and suffering, he asks why he feels abandoned. Why, my soul, are you in turmoil? He remembers what it felt like to be rescued from his sin and reminds himself of God's faithfulness. Then he tells himself, he takes every cap thought, or takes every thought captive, switched them, to put hope in God because he is tempted to not. Lastly, the psalmist longs to be in God's presence. Look at verses 1 and 2. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? Like a deer thirsts for water. A deer's source of life is water. These flowing streams are what provide this deer with life. So this psalmist thirsts. For God. He longs to be in his presence of the living God who has given him life. He wants to be back in a place where he feels like God is near. 
He's not near now, but he wants to be there. So for, for those of you that are believers, how often are these words on our lips? As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. And you might be thinking, I've never used the word long in my life in that context. I understand. I don't either. But the idea is, how many times, how recently have we said, God, I need you like a deer needs water. A deer needs water daily to survive. I need to be near to you. I need to be close to you. I need you to give me life. Are we simply content in our knowledge of God, feeling like we're, we're in a good spot? Or do we long to be in his presence? Salt Company, I don't, I don't know where you're at tonight and your struggle with depression and anxiety, but I know that God does. He knows exactly where you're at. And I know that he has not abandoned you, but instead has actually come to you. God doesn't promise that there will be no pain, but he promises that he'll be with you through the pain. And one day the Bible tells us in Revelation, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because, of, because the, thing, the previous things have passed away. And so what I want to ask you, Salt Company, is where are you in this journey? I imagine that most of you have, have asked the question, why? Maybe you've had a friend or a brother or a sister or a parent who's going through something really hard. And on the outside, you're asking, why? Why, God? Maybe you've already asked why, but you haven't moved to the next step to remember and affirm God's goodness. Maybe you, maybe you say, okay, I know this is hard and, and, and there's suffering and pain and, and hurt, but I know God is good. I just, I know he does. Like, have you taken every thought captive? Have you listened to the voice that's talking to you and seen, recognize what is the lie and what does God's word say? What is the truth that I can speak to this lie? What is it going to take for us to experience the hope that the psalmist has? Hope that says, in the midst of my anguish, I will praise you, my God and my Savior. Maybe it's time for you to bend the knee and give your struggle to God. Like maybe there's somebody in here that has just been wrestling for so long. You've been hurting for so long. And you've tried drugs. You've tried relationships. Fill the blank, family. You've tried things, anything that you can try to stop this pain. Day and night, tears have been your food, like the psalmist said. It's time to let it go. Give it to Jesus. And I know it's not as simple as that, but for some of you, it is that simple. For some of you, you are just living in sin and trying to find your identity in something that's not going to satisfy you. Therefore, you are struggling with anxious thoughts or sadness and loneliness. 
maybe for, for some of you that aren't struggling, haven't struggled with this, like when was the last time you longed for God? When was the last time you thirsted to be in God's presence? Let's pray. God, I, I know this is kind of like a heavy text. I know there's students in here that are struggling with depression and anxiety. I know there's students that are in here that are suffering. God, but I know that like, you have not promised that there's no pain, but you have promised to be with us in the pain. And so, God, I pray that at Salt Company, we would place our hope in you. God, not a shallow hope, not a fake hope, but a hope that is deeply rooted in the good news of Jesus. God, I pray that we would give up whatever sin we are holding on to that is causing us to, to feel lonely or anxious. I pray for the students that God genuinely are struggling with a deep depression that has nothing to do with their choices. I pray that they would seek help. Recognize they can't do this alone, God. I thank, I thank you, God, for the hope that you have given us in Jesus, that you did not just abandon us, but actually you came to us so that we could be with you. Jesus, you are good. We love you. And may we just get to sing our hearts out to the God that gives us hope.